Good morning. It's funny in the church world, good morning is also another way of saying, please sit down and be quiet. But again, good morning. It's, it's good to be with you this morning. My name is Rick Hutton. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to be with you on this Christmas Eve morning, this fourth Sunday of Advent. And as we are in the fourth Sunday of Advent, we are still continuing with our Advent preaching series, which we've been in over the last three weeks, a series called Dwell, where we've been looking at how God became one of us, took on flesh, and dwelt among us. And we've been looking at Jesus' first coming, which we celebrate at Christmas time, but also this idea of looking and longing for Jesus' second coming, his second advent, when he will come again and make all things new. We've done that especially by looking at what God did the first time, with the incarnation, again, God becoming flesh, becoming one of us. And we've done that by looking at just one verse, John 1.14, and we've looked at it phrase by phrase each week. And so the first week, we looked at the word became flesh. And the second week was made his dwelling among us. Last week, we talked about how we have seen his glory. And this week, we'll be looking at the glory of the one and only son. And as we prepare to do that, will you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time together to worship you. We thank you too, Lord God, for your word, that it is living and active. Lord, that it is just as relevant today as it was when it was first written. As we look into your word, we ask now, Father, that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying, that you would give us hearts to respond to it. And I ask especially, Lord Jesus, that you would please keep me out of your way. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Hear God's word from the Gospel of John. Chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but in July of 2013, the world was caught with baby fever. Much of the world was anxiously anticipating the birth of one baby boy. There were news crews from all around the world parked in front of St. Mary's Hospital in London, England to anticipate the birth of Prince George. As his due date approached, there were constant news updates breaking into regularly scheduled programs uh, telling us what was going on, that he hadn't been born yet and that we were still waiting. People all around the world tuned into this. They were interested in this. They wanted to know what was going on. But why? I mean, really, why were so many people interested in the birth of this baby boy? And I'm not going to try to psychologically analyze the entire world or, or anybody here for that matter, except just to say that I think many of us were intrigued by this, were interested in this because his birth was going to be a unique birth because it was the birth of the potential future king of England. And that is definitely a unique status to have. It would be, he is a unique child. He was going to be a unique child. But on the grand scale of things, that's a relatively insignificant birth. It's Christmas time, so of course we're thinking about the birth of Jesus. 
The birth of Jesus, though, made very little noise relative to the whole world at the time. Yet his birth was far more significant and far more unique than Prince George's birth. And as we are together today looking at the phrase, the glory of the one and only Son, I want us to focus just on the words one and only. It's actually just one word in Greek, and it's often used in Scripture to describe an only child. So a relationship between an only child and his father or mother or that way. It's used often that way, but it means so much more than just a familial relationship between a father and son or a mother and father and child. It talks about how this person is unique and one of a kind. There is no one and nothing like this child. And this is who Jesus is. This is how Jesus lived. This is how Jesus acted. He has a unique relationship with his heavenly father, with our heavenly father, a relationship that no one else will have or can have. And because Jesus has this relationship, because he is unique, because he is one of a kind, because he is the one and only, we need to look at him through that lens. And so to do that together this morning, I just want us to think about two things. I want us to think about the fact that Jesus is like no one else, and because he's like no one else, we must respond to him like no one else. And so as we think about Jesus being like no one else, we could, we could spend hours just going over that, thinking about the story of his birth. And just some of the, the overviews think he was born of a virgin. There were choirs of angels that announced his birth. And they announced his birth not to the elite, but to lowly social outcast shepherds. A king of the world at that time would not have been announced to the outcasts, but instead to the elite. Jesus, that's not how he did it, because he is like no one else. There were people far away in the east who came, never having met Mary and Joseph. They followed a star to come and bring gifts to this child and to worship him. They didn't know who he was other than that he was worthy of worship. All of these things and so much more we can read about Jesus being like no one else just from his birth story. But there's even more surrounding the birth of Jesus than just those things that show us he's like no one else. Before we dive more deeply into that, though, think back to Prince George. Once we found out that Kate Middleton was pregnant, we got about, what, six months, seven months of hype. It was everywhere. People were so thrilled about it. And it culminated in what some might call a ridiculous scene outside of St. Mary's Hospital. People were thrilled that he was going to be born, thrilled about what he symbolized and what he meant to so many people. Jesus obviously wasn't born in the era of the 24-hour news cycle. Social media didn't exist in that time. So he didn't get six months of hype leading up to his birth. Instead, He got thousands of years of longing that was going to be placed upon him. In Matthew chapter 1, bold predictions are made about him. In that chapter, an angel comes to Joseph and says to Joseph, you will give your unborn child the name Jesus because he is going to save his people from their sins. Or later in Luke chapter 2, an elderly man, Simeon, who had been waiting for Israel to be restored as God intended, meets Jesus when Jesus is eight days old as Mary and Joseph bring him to the temple. And Simeon declares that he has seen God's Messiah, 
the one who will save Israel. And Simeon says, I can now die in peace because God has fulfilled his promise in this boy. Jesus was eight days old. And these are just two of the bold statements made about Jesus before he could even walk. Think about what would have happened if people made that procl- those kinds of proclamations about Prince George. Saying that the British Empire would now rise to the height of its, of its former glory when the sun never set upon it because Prince George was going to be born. They would have been laughed off the internet. They might have been locked up for fear of them doing something crazy. No one would take those people seriously. I mean, who would believe that about a baby? But those kinds of things were what was said about Jesus, that he would save people from their sins, that he would be and that he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Look, Prince George isn't going to bring back the power the British Empire once had. That's just not going to happen. But Jesus has fulfilled what was said about him. And he is going to fulfill the promises yet to be fulfilled. Jesus has saved his people from their sins. And he has brought us into a right relationship with God. And he did this as fully God and fully man, as only he could. And he's done this because he is like no one else. Now, those prophecies and proclamations that were made about him, they were made by people other than him about him. But Jesus himself also makes statements that tell us he is like no one else. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that made people uncomfortable then. It makes people uncomfortable now. How could Jesus say something like that? Jesus can say something like that because he's like no one else and because that statement is true. In Jesus' day, there were so many different religious practices and people trying to do things to get them eternal life and salvation and find peace and comfort in what they were doing. And so many of them were never quite sure that they were doing the right thing. And really, let's be honest, that's not too different from the world we live in right now. It's an environment in which we wonder, are we doing the right things? People we know are trying to do things to be good, to have peace, to find what they would call salvation, but yet still never being quite sure that what they're believing or doing is right. But Jesus declares that he is the way not to keep people out, but to invite people in saying, you want to know the way through all the confusion? I am the way. Come to me. Jesus is showing people, he's showing us where we deeply and even unknowingly want to be. Jesus says, follow me, I'm the way to life and salvation. He cuts through the confusion, cuts through the difficulty and declares himself as the one true way as only he could because he is like no one else. He is the one and the only one who can lead us to the Father. And ultimately, the claim of being the way and his relationship with God the Father was what led him to his death on the cross. Now, for all other religious and political movements of Jesus' time, the death of the leader meant the movement was done. And so when Jesus died on the cross, when he was executed in that way, many people viewed it as the ultimate defeat. Yet the truth is, His death on the cross was the world's greatest victory. On the cross, Jesus defeated sin and death. He fulfilled the prophecies about saving his people. And so through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus showed himself to be like no one else. 
And because he's done those things, because he's like no one else, we must respond to him like no one else. The Gospels, they're filled with stories of people encountering Jesus and responding to him. And generally, those people fell into one of two camps. They either wanted to worship him or they wanted to kill him. There was really no indifference with Jesus. It was one or the other in response to him. Matthew 2 is a great example of these kinds of responses. It's the story of the Magi coming from the east, bearing gifts, and as they're passing through Judea, they come to King Herod, and they say, hey, where's the king of the Jews? And they find their way, and they meet, they meet Jesus. They bow down, give him these gifts, and they worship him, this child that they had no idea who he was except that he was worthy of worship. While they were doing that, King Herod is putting together a plot to try to get rid of Jesus because he was afraid that Jesus was a threat to his power. That's how people viewed him. And that, if we boil down our responses to Jesus, is how we view him. We want him out of our life or we worship him as true Lord and Savior. And I'll be honest, there are days where I do both of those within the same moments. But those are our responses to Jesus. Get out of my life or worship in wonder, awe, and praise. There's no indifference when it comes to Jesus because he is Lord over every aspect of our lives. He is worthy of our worship. He deserves our worship. And because of who Jesus is, that he's fully God, fully man, he's Lord over everything. And so we must respond to him in a way that's unique to him and him alone. The quote on the front of the bulletin gets at this, telling us that Jesus' uniqueness demands our allegiance and commitment. That's what Jesus demands of us, not in a dictator kind of way, but in the loving way of our natural response when we truly recognize who he is. We give him our allegiance. We give him our commitment. But if you're here today not sure how you're responding to Jesus, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're just not sure, I just want you to think about what is your response to Jesus? What kind of response do you give him? And think about why is it you respond that way? And is Jesus calling you to respond in a different way to him this morning? Jesus demands that we respond to him like no one else. And that's true for the Christians here today too. Probably we'd all say that we believe in Jesus as the only way for our salvation that we wouldn't put our hope for salvation in another person or in the things that we have. We know that our good deeds don't save us, that our money is only for our time here and now that we're supposed to be good stewards of what God has given us, that our money and possessions don't mean anything as far as how much God loves us. But where's Jesus on our priority list? Where is he on your priority list? If we're to respond to him like no one else. That means responding to him with our entire lives. That means how we use our time, how we use our money, what we give our lives to, who we look to for hope, what we look to for hope and comfort and peace. Responding to Jesus isn't just about not going to hell when we die. It's about how we live right now, giving all of our lives to him. And there's nothing, there's no one worthy of such a response except for Jesus. And our only response to him must be like no one else. 
As we continue in Advent and as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, we are able to do this because of the incarnation. Because the one and only Son of God who loves us and gave himself for us has come to us. No one else can do what Jesus has done. No one else is doing what Jesus is doing right now, and no one else will do what Jesus will do when he comes again and makes all things new. Jesus is like no one else. We must respond to him like no one else. And that's God's desire for us, to respond with all of who we are. He has given all of who he is so that we can respond that way. How will you respond? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for giving us the gift of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, we ask that you, by the power of your Spirit at work in us, would enable us to respond to Jesus like no one else, and that we would respond in awe and wonder and worship. Lord, help us to see where we have things other than Jesus as our priority, and help us, Lord, to take that next step in giving all of who we are to you. Lord, bless us through this Christmas season. Bless us through this day. And may we know you more and more, even in our time together this morning. And we pray this in your name. Amen.